Welcome to Present Company, the Netflix podcast that brings you dynamic conversations with exceptional people behind your favorite series, films, documentaries, and specials. I'm your host, Krista Smith. For years, I was Vanity Fair's ambassador to Hollywood, interviewing countless actors as well as creatives and authorities across the spectrum. My passion is talent, any form of it. How do you know you have it? How do you cultivate it? How do you protect it? And also, I want to get to the heart of what drives it. On this podcast, I'll be talking to people in Hollywood and far beyond. Thank you for joining me. Welcome back, listeners. Today's show is a special one because I got to talk to one of Hollywood's most humble, most brilliant, most delightful actresses, Laura Linney. If you ask 10 different people for their favorite Laura Linney project, you'd get 10 different answers. For some, it would be her Tony-nominated theater work, like Little Foxes. For others, it's films like The Truman Show and Love Actually, or her Emmy-nominated television work, like John Adams, or maybe one of her three Oscar-nominated performances. For me, that would be The Savages. I still haven't recovered from that performance or that film. And then, of course, there are the Ozark superfans, and I count myself among them, obsessing over Lenny's tour de force performance as Wendy, or as Ruth calls her, wolf bitch. Seriously, I could not devour the episodes fast enough, and if you haven't caught up, it's streaming now on Netflix. In this conversation, we're going to talk about some key collaborators in her career, her fierce work ethic, and how she's navigated a life in the arts, and what it was like to grow up in New York City in the 70s. So enjoy. Here's Laura Linney. Hi. How are you? Good Good to see you. Good to see you as well. I am uh, in my closet. I I noticed that. (laughs) So I just, uh, fair warning, I love it. It's so humbling. It's just been an amazing experience. Sitting among my husband's shirts, basically, because it's the oh, best a, soundproofing. A closet is comforting. Yeah, right? It is. It's really comforting. How nice. How are you today? Where am I finding you? You look like you're in an excellent room. I'm in my office in Connecticut. So nice. Uh, lots of great pictures. And I love the child's artwork there over your shoulder is fantastic. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, it's so great to see you, Laura. I have to say, this season of Ozark has me so obsessed. I got to live with you all over again, and it was just time well spent. Let me put it that way. Oh, thank you. Thank you. I appreciate that. <laughs> yeah, no, definitely. It, to me, feels like one of the best characters ever written for a woman on television, for sure, in a series. You know, I, I'm realizing it. I'm realizing that the more I'm able to do it, that I, I have, I have moments where I think, Oh God, not, not many other actresses are able to swim around and, and stuff like this. And I think it's a combination of just a great showrunner, Chris Mundy and his great writer's room. And, and, you know, the, the realization that, that female characters can be really interesting and have a lot to contribute and having a, a, you know, a, a lead actor in Jason Bateman who, who has encouraged it and been supportive of sharing 
a show with an ensemble of people. Um, you know, it's, it's, I'm just lucky that it came to me when it did. Mm-hmm. Well, it's really interesting in this season in particular with Wendy, just the growth is so fun and delicious to watch. And she's still kind of petulant and immature on one end yeah, and then yeah. ruthless on the other end. And I feel like this season is Wendy's season. Basically, you got you ran with that show wow. uh, in such a fun way. And I want to talk to you a little bit about um, just some specifics of it. So for you as an actress, like kind of developing, mm-hmm. what is that like? I know within a play, when you're playing a character on stage, it kind of evolves every night, you know, something is a little bit different, but what is it like when you're actually doing a series like this for a finite amount of time over years? Well, the one thing I'm glad I I've learned this, and this just comes with experience is that you can't play everything in one scene that you have to trust that you're going to have time for something to roll out. So I made a lot of decisions in season one, hoping that I would be able to see it through later on. There was no guarantee of that. I made decisions that I didn't know if it would pay off at all, if anyone would ever see it come to fruition or anything, but fortunately it did. So that's the benefit of of doing something that goes on year after year after year, particularly if you're working with people who you trust and who trust you. Um, And there's a sense of collaboration. You can all work on that together. Um, so, and that's very satisfying and I know is very unique. I mean, a lot of times you just don't get that opportunity. Um, so that's one of the, the po- really positive things about working in, in a, a law, a series that goes on for a while. Now, for me, season three had these anchors in the women, uh, which I felt yeah. was refreshing and really yeah. interesting to see how it pivoted in a very organic way. Working with someone as new to the game mm-hmm. or new to the career as someone like Julia Garner, mm-hmm. what mm-hmm. have you learned from her uh, acting opposite her? And I know that I've, I did a lot of research on you, which was also a delight. But oh, you, well. <laughs> well, I don't know if that'd be a delight or not. But. It was, it was. And I think it was on uh, one of the, I think it was a uh, Colbert. Uh, he had, you had talked to him about how you love being off camera with the other actor. You almost feel like oh, you're yeah. your best when oh, the yeah. camera's on them and Absolutely. it's not on you and you're reacting yeah. and yeah. Oh, it's the best time. <laughs> I'm so good off camera. <laughs> I am so, so good <laughs> off camera. Most actors feel that way, but you are. It's a, and it's a really wonderful lesson. So the goal is always to try and be as good on camera as you are off camera. All right. Well, tell me about what you learn from being off camera when you're yes. acting against, uh, you know, Ruth played by yeah. Julia Garner. Well, you always, you always learn things from whoever you're working with and everyone works very differently. And once you're not afraid of that, then, then it's, then it's great fun. Cause then you can, then you're really open to learn. You know, sometimes people will be thrown by how someone works and it doesn't jive with them and they're afraid it's going to get in the way of what they want to do. And that's just baloney. It's just, you have to be secure enough in your own work. And then you can really be open to really watching and seeing what someone else is doing and then learning from them and seeing if there's something that like inspires something in you. Um, and Julia is amazing. Julia is amazing. Um, a lot, and a lot of it is, it's just the perfect intersection of an actress and a role. And there's something about her inherent vocal pattern and energy that thoroughly understands Ruth. And it, and it just permeates through her pores, basically. 
and she's a fascinating actress because she's very instinctive and she almost sort of doesn't remember anything she does. And she talks about this a lot. So I'm not saying anything that, that she doesn't. Um, so it's all very alive and very reactive. And I love watching things travel across her face. I love watching like cell, how the, the, her cellular structure underneath the skin of her face changes with different thoughts. Mm-hmm. And it's mm-hmm. fantastic to watch how connected she is on a very, very deep primal level to things. Mm-hmm. So I find her and she's very sensitive. So she reacts to everything. Mm-hmm. Um, so, it's, and it's, and it's wonderful to watch someone who's young, yeah. you know, who's so young and beautiful and, <laughs> you know, it's and to watch someone just bloom and blossom and become more confident and more curious. And, and it, when you get a little bit of success, it kind of gives you permission to dig in deeper. Mm-hmm. And it, so it's wonderful to watch someone who has been, who's been given that permission, like, yes, go, keep going. We love what you do. Keep mm-hmm. going. And to watch her enjoy it, mm-hmm. you know, is really, is wonderful. To, it's wonderful to watch. Uh, for your own career, when, when did that moment happen for you when you felt like, oh, this is, this is the moment I am in the right place. I am doing the right thing. I was doing a play called Sight Unseen. Very, very early on at Manhattan Theater Club. And it actually wasn't even at Manhattan Theater Club. It was at their smaller theater. And it was a play by Donald Margulies. And I had two scenes in the play. And they were really beautifully written. And, but they were hard. They were hard to execute. And something happened to me in the run of that show. And then we moved the play also. So I got to do it for a long time. And things just sort of opened up a little bit as far as how I could how I could see how it fit into the play, listening to the play every night backstage, the wonderful Deborah Headwall and Dennis Boutsikaris were in it and John DeVries. And I would listen to them and I could have a sense of where my story fit in the narrative and how could I help get Dennis Boutsikaris from one part of the play to the next. And, and there was just, uh, there was just something that happened to me during that period of time, right? It just felt good. It just felt right that I was doing what I should be doing that I was still working on it, that I was mm-hmm. always interested, that I was, I felt it kept growing. It kept, and I was able to keep up with the growth. And there was, and that was really, really mm-hmm. fun. And it was the first time I felt like a real actress, really. Mm-hmm. I can remember like taking the bus at home, like feeling like, oh my God, I'm a professional actress. Like I really am now. That's like so I'm not cool. just, a stu- I'm not just a student. I'm also a working actress. Right. And it was, it was wonderful. That's so it was gratifying. a wonderful, wonderful period of time. Well, uh, back to Wendy for a second. The yes. stuff about that you are able to do is just so incredible to me in a flicker of an eye, especially with Ben, your bro- who plays your, you know, your brother, right? The yes. new character this season. You go from rage to love to empathy to confusion back to rage in about 30 seconds on your face. <laughs> and it's incredible, all well dressed, like still like a soccer mom, which is another question I have down the road. With all that money, Wendy doesn't want to upgrade the fashion at all. <laughs> well, you'd be surprised where those clothes come from. <laughs> <laughs> but just talk to me about for you, your work and getting being so like maintaining that intensity uh, in those scenes. Well, when the writing's as good as it is and your actor who you're working with is as good as he is. It's not very hard. Mm -hmm. It's really not, Mm -hmm. you know, it's, it's hard when 
And it's difficult and burdensome when something is out of step or out of place. When the writing doesn't support what you're trying to do, when the actor you're working with is difficult or maybe struggling, when your producer is annoying and not kind, when your crew is irritable and not engaged and you're tired and overworked, that's when it's hard. And that's when it's difficult. When everything is in place, then it's just a privilege. And that's not to say it isn't very hard work, but it's going to work. And that's a very privileged place to be. So it's because it's funny. A lot of people ask me like, isn't it hard? Aren't you exhausted? Tell me something hard that happened on the set. And the truth is, if it wasn't good, it, it, you know, the fact that everything is so beautifully in place and everything is sort of aligned correctly on the Ozark set makes it not hard. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like there's nothing in the way. Well, I would you imagine know, so. that all the energy that everybody has collectively as a cast and then as a crew and producer, director, all the other elements of it, that it just elevates everyone's performance because it's just this surge of positivity and everyone's yeah. feels like it must be like the Yankees, like everyone wants to play their best game. Yeah. And you, you don't know? want to drop the ball and you you want it to be as good as it can be. And you know that you've been handed something of value and that really good writers shepherded by a great showrunner have put this together, that Jason Bateman is directing the bejesus out of it. And you have a great character to play within an ensemble of great characters. Mm -hmm. So, and going back to the, the, the four women, you know, there's, there's me and Julia and Janet McTeer. And then Helen. um, She's incredible. I, yes. Yeah. But, you know, we're all blonde. The four yeah. of us are all blonde. I you did know, know that. Snell, you know, all of us are blonde. And I love that it sort of turns the iconic blonde, like, on its head a little bit. I didn't think about that, but you, it's right. Like, it does. Yeah. It just flips and the coin. And Charlotte as well. Sophia Hewlett is also, you know, all these blonde women. Wreaking you know, havoc. What they is- have a spine. <laughs> they all got a spine. <laughs> what 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 was one of your favorite scenes to play uh, this season? Did you have the most kind of skip in your step? Uh, you know, I loved working with Janet. I love Janet. And Janet and I shared a house. So we were also roommates. So we just had a ball. You know, we really just had fun. Um, and then anything with Tom Pelfrey was a joy. Mm-hmm. Just a joy. Right. So for our listeners, Janet McTeer played Helen and Tom played your brother, Ben. Yes. Yeah. Yes. He was great. It was great. Yeah, he was wonderful. Um, and right. that's not easy to do, to step mm-hmm. into a group of people who have already been together as an ensemble and to really be a significant contributor to a season. You know, that's 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 not easy to do. And he was just heaven from the day he arrived to the day he left. He was mm-hmm. just a joy. Well, what I loved about his character is he showed everyone's vulnerability. It's like we really got to see Wendy's vulnerability. We really got to see Ruth's vulnerability. And it just changed the whole dynamic. You know, it it just enriched everyone's performances and the season as a whole because the complexity of it was phenomenal. Um, All right. So, Laura, you have had like one of the most extraordinary careers. And I, and I don't say that lightly because I know you always lead with humility. I know enough about you and our paths have crossed enough times. But 
you never lead with your accomplishments, but it is extraordinary the longevity you've had and the diversity that you've had in terms I'm of. Around. <laughs> <laughs> I'm still around. I can't believe it. Not only are you still around, but you're doing like the most high profile work at the highest level too, which is, is thrilling. But to go from television to theater to film and then switch it back up. And when you did Little Foxes, that was only a couple of years ago, playing both roles with Cynthia Nixon and again, Tony nominee. I mean, you have so many nominations and a lot of awards and, uh, all of that, right? Which has got to come with a certain amount of validation. But how how do you feel like if you step back for a second and map out your career? Like, were there certain little decisions along the way that you think have led you to sitting right now in Connecticut having this conversation about thriving? And, and- Well, I'm lucky in that I think I made the right decisions for me. And when I got out of school, you know, I wanted to be a theater actress and, and that was it. I had no desire to do film or television. It, it intimidated me to no end. And I thought it was fantastic and amazing, but I was just scared of it. And I had a great, great agent who very slowly pushed me into doing tiny little things in movies, like one day on this, one day on that. He had much more confidence in me than I did at the time. And then I sort of slowly grew to be like, oh, I kind of like this work in front of the camera. This is interesting. Like there's something about this that, that interests me. I like the, the challenge of it I find fascinating. And then once I did Tales of the City, that was what sort of clinched on-camera work for me because I really had fun. For the first time, I really had fun in front of a camera. And I all of a sudden understood like, oh, there's a whole other way to do this acting thing, a whole other context, a whole other thing. Um, and then really the, the best decision I made was to just – cast my net wide and just do as many different things as I could under as many different circumstances as I could, like not to say no to anything, you know, that if it was with good people and if I liked the material, say yes. Like it's not going to hurt the film career. If you go do a really good play, Mm -hmm. it's not going to hurt your theater work. If you go do something on a television show. And at the time when I was coming up, you know, there were still, the camps were very separate and there was, there were a great, there was great opinions going around about a theater actress who worked in television or a theater actress who went and did film. You, you were sort of in one camp or the other and you weren't allowed to sort of, there was no passport to go between the three countries. <laughs> and I just sort of didn't buy into that and didn't think it would make a difference. I didn't think I was so important that if I was a theater actress and went and did a TV show that anyone would care. You know, that, but that I would get a good experience and have an opportunity to work under a very different circumstance and figure out, like, what is that? What is it to work on a sitcom? It's a very different thing than working on an hour-long drama, working on a movie, a big-budget movie. is a very different experience, different experience from a low-budget film and then the different gradations of low-budget films. And, that you know, working in, in London is very different from working in New York and working for radio is very different from working, you know, and... It's exciting and it keeps me engaged and it keeps me a student, which is really where I'm most comfortable. Yeah. Uh, you know, I, I just, the, the, that's the great thing about when you graduate from school is that you, you know, you get to be a student on your own terms. Mm-hmm. And I, for me, if I had ever let go of that, I think it would have been a real, I would have stagnated instantly. 
Mm-hmm. So I'm, 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 I'm glad that I somehow have had the uh, navigation system within me to sort of keep me engaged and still enjoying it. Do you have for you? So it's like when you know you're going to do theater and you know you're going to do film or a series like mm-hmm. Ozark and how does your body chemistry have to change? You have to think about, okay, this is the part of the body I'm using in this particular uh, (laughs) arena versus that one. I've got to shed that old habit of theater. Now I'm focusing on television. Do you go through those thoughts in your head? Well, it's sort of like playing three different sports and, you know, swimming, tennis and soccer or something like that. You know, Mm -hmm. they require different things. They're all the same, but you sort of have to mentally prepare for this. And for me, it's really about the different type of stress that I know I'm going to encounter and preparing myself for eight shows a week. What, what does that mean? I know what that means at this point. Like Mm -hmm. I know what it means to do eight shows a week. Mm -hmm. (laughs) It's a very different animal than 16 hours a day on a film set or 12 hours a day for six months on a TV show. Uh, am I away from my family? Am I with my family? How do I keep myself healthy? What time of the year is it? Doing something during the winter is very different from doing something during the summer. You know, so for me, it's really about the, the mental preparation of, of executing what I'm doing in the context with which it is formed and like, how do I manage all of that? Mm-hmm. Um, and then also there's just the physicality of things like theater is just much more physical you are completely athletic, whether you're just sitting in a chair and not moving. It's a much more athletic thing to do than working unless you're doing an action movie, you know, so vocally and physically, you have to be attentive to yourself Mm -hmm. and in shape, you know, you just have to be in shape. Your, your work ethic is impressive. Do you feel that that's, and this is a nature nurture kind of question I want to ask, because you really have a great, you're always prepared, you're always good, almost to the point where, you know, we just take for granted that, oh, Laura Linney's in it, I'm going to watch it, it's going to be good. Like, whatever she's doing is going to be worth the time. Well, not everything is worth the time, but I appreciate the the thought. (laughs) No one, no one has that career. We all, we all got the misstep here and there. Right, of course. No one's one's perfect. (laughs) Right, of course. Uh, But that aside, you know, where does that come from? Is that come from having you know, the way you were brought up. And I want to kind of get to that because the fact that you were a kid in New York City is immensely interesting to me. But your father was a playwright, your mother uh, worked in healthcare. Like, where do you think it was just your nature or was it something that you saw every day? I think it's a combination of the two. And I think it's also just my inherent interest in what I do. Like, I, I really enjoy it. Like, there is nothing more fun to me than when someone hands me a script for the first time. And I'm going to be working on it and I get to dive into it. Like it is great fun for me to start to pick a script apart and see where my actor brain takes me and what images come and what I need to work on. And I just, and then to see, and then there's the great leap between um, preparation and execution. They're very different things. You can be beautifully prepared and then just not be able to do it. Mm-hmm. Then you can't execute it. And why? Why does why can't you jump off the page? What what is it that's getting in your way? Why you're why is the evolution not happening? Why is it not three-dimensional? Um, why isn't the thought then the idea that was so potent in your mind? Why is it not you know taking flight? Why is it not you know happening in front of you? And I just find it all fascinating. I just really, really love it. 
And then also my, I watched my father work very, very hard. And I knew that, you know, the theater is a very disciplined place. It might have the reputation for, you know, actors being, but, you know, real performers are far more disciplined than people realize that the stereotype is really misleading. Theater people, particularly theater people, work really hard. And there is a work ethic that is, that we take great pride in. You know, if you have rehearsal at four, you don't show up at four. You're ready to go at four. That means you show up at 3.30 or 3.45 to warm up and get yourself situated so that at four, you're ready to go. You know, and they're just simple things like that that give you more time to do what you need to do. And then consequently, guess what? You're going to be better. Mm-hmm. Surprise, mm-hmm. surprise. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> you know. Well, you trained it. You you obviously went to college and then you went to conservatory because you went to do Juilliard after that. Mm-hmm. Uh so your whole, I, I want to talk about New York and that experience and living in the city as a kid and yeah. then kind of living as a, as a grown up, going to, yeah. going to Juilliard and then doing theater. And then now here you're still East Coast. So just yeah. tell me about what are some of the impressions that just and come where, to- where is your closet, by the way? Is your oh, closet I'm in California. In I'm in Los oh, it's Angeles. Oh, California closet. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I spent a little time. I was in uh, New York in the 90s and like mid, right. yeah. That, and I've been out here for, for a long time now, so I'm just like okay. a Los Angelinos. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah whatever. Yeah, yeah. But yeah. Uh, I, I want which is why probably I'm so curious about New York and the 70s and the 80s and the 90s mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. as a kid. And sure, sure. What are some of your impressions yeah. and memories that come up top of well, mind? Well, you know, the 70s in New York was a very different thing. It was a very gritty, dangerous, edgy place to grow up. You know, there were areas that you just, you were really told, you do not go to that neighborhood. We li- I lived on 64th between 1st and York. And my mother was a nurse at Memorial Sloan Kettering Hospital, which was just a few blocks away. My father lived on the opposite end of the city, on the west side, on 76th and Broadway. The areas by the river, which are now so beautiful, and people flock there and exercise there, you did not go near the river. I, I can remember having being lectured and scolded, do not go by the river because it was, you know, drug alley and really dangerous. And, and it was, it was rough and tumble when I was a little kid growing up. Um, but I loved it. I loved New York city. There was a different color palette then than mm-hmm. there is now. Um, you know, in the seventies, it was very, there was a lot of color everywhere. Color, 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 bright color, toodaloop radios and people on roller skates. And, you know, it was down and dirty and but in short little green shorts with white piping around them. And, you know, people with big, huge headphones. And, you know, it was funky. It was really it was really fun and really funky. And then in the 80s, everything went black. Everyone wore black. And that kind of hasn't quite gone away. Mm-hmm. But it, the, the change, you know, I went to. Um, you know, I, I went to, to a boarding school and I can remember coming back before I went to college and the, just the change from the four years that I had been away, like all the color left and everyone was in black and everything. There was all that infusion of money that happened and everything got a little corporate and a little sharp and a little overly smart and knowing and everyone was aggressive and there was a whole different sort of culture in New York that was happening. Um, and then when I moved back to the city after college, um, yeah, you know, I lived in the apartment that I grew up in. My mother had moved out and moved in with my stepfather. 
and I would take the bus, the crosstown bus every day to Juilliard. And, uh, you know, I loved it. You know, conservatory is not for everyone. Juilliard is not for everyone. It was the perfect school for me. Mm-hmm. Perfect place for me. And I was in with a class of remarkable people. Mm-hmm. I loved my class. And I learned so much from them and with them that it's a really, I mean, people ask me all the time, like, what was your big break? And for me, it was really getting into Juilliard. There's no question. Mm-hmm. No, n- nothing would have been possible that's happened after that for me without Juilliard. Mm-hmm. Wow. Well, let's talk about some of the men in your life. Uh, <laughs> cinematic men in my life? Well, all of them. I mean, I know you have a lot of men in your life because uh, you have a son and a husband, I, obviously. But aside from that, uh, and Jason, who would be your work yes. husband, and we'll get to him last. But let's talk about one of my favorite uh, performances of recent memory is You and Savages. It is oh, just love that yeah. movie. Yeah. Uh, I always kind of joke with some films. It's like, oh, that's my Gone with the Wind. Oh. <laughs> you know, that's like, oh, that movie well. <laughs> is so good. Um, so I just want to talk a little bit about working with Phil Hoffman, obviously, mm-hmm. in that and, and mm-hmm. what that experience was like for you. Mm-hmm. You know, it was it, I adored him. I adored him. And we didn't really know each other before we made that movie. We you know, he had made um, Capote mm-hmm. and it was so obvious to me. I was like, the man's going to win the Oscar. Like I knew exactly what was going to happen. And there was a period of time before we made Savages, we were both attached to it, but it was at some company. And I don't remember who it was, but they wanted uh, Tamara Jenkins, our director, writer to recast it with other people <laughs> or, or else they wouldn't green light it. And to her credit, she said, no. And it went, it went elsewhere, but I'll never forget thinking like the man's going to win the Oscar. Like, you don't want him in your movie. Really? Like what, what is that? Like, I just, it could, I I could not understand. I can understand wanting to replace me. That would make complete Mm -hmm. sense. But to replace Phil, like, what are you talking? I just, and I had never sort of seen business, a business decision like that before. And I was like, oh, things are changing. Like what's going on? Mm -hmm. You know, where you don't want that talent. You don't want that. You want a more commercial, like a more stereotypically commercial viable thing for this material, Mm -hmm. this material that requires talent. Like you're not, it it just, it was very, it was a very weird, interesting moment, but we, we both ended up doing it and we were both so happy to be able to work together. And in the course of making that movie, we became extremely close. We just really loved each other and recognized something in each other. You know, I, I felt completely safe and thoroughly understood by him. And I, I hopefully I'm hopeful that he felt the same way. I think he did. Mm-hmm. And we just got on like a house on fire and, and he had my back in a way that I, I'll never forget. And it, and I've worked with a lot of wonderful people, but there, there was really something about Phil that um, I was moved by him every day. Mm-hmm. And, and I just loved, I loved working with him. I just, it was, it was a real, a real highlight and always will be. It was a true gift. It really was. Well, it shows in the film, you guys are both extraordinary in the movie. Oh God. And we'd laugh, we'd oh. laugh and laugh and laugh. 
<laughs> well, I saw some interview you guys did. Uh, it was very kind of silly but fun, and you were asking each other questions. And I love when you got a free chance to ask him. You're like, okay, you won the Oscar. Did it yeah. make you more scared or more confident? Yeah. yeah. That is all. I loved his answer was something about like, oh, yeah, no, the fear is always there, which is so, yeah. so true for all actors. But there was one interview that we gave during a junket for Savages where we both, we were giving the interview together and we both got the giggles and we couldn't, we could not look at each other. We could not get through the interview. It was, it was embarrassing. We were like, you know, like second graders. We could not control ourselves. And we, and I, I remember I called Fox Searchlight at one point and I was like, do you have that anywhere? Can you find it for me, please? Mm. Can you send it to me? And they sent it to me and I have it. And it is really funny. We just, we just, we were just undone by each other. We were tired and it was, you know, the absurdity of of being in a junket. And we just laughed, laughed ourselves silly. (laughs) Miss him. Uh, All right. The other one, Liam Neeson. Yes. Okay. So yes. love, yeah. a- love actually, which is basically an institution now at the holidays, right? Yeah. You're you're part of the fabric of our lives, whether <laughs> you like it or not. With that movie, right? Uh, then also, you guys did uh, Kinsey, which you were again nominated for, and I believe you were on Broadway Crucible, which I have not, I did not get a chance to see, but I and we did that. another film together called The Other Man. And the other man. So tell me a little bit about him and any takeaways. He's just great. (laughs) He's just great. Yeah. You know, I, you know, he's a dear, dear friend and I, I love him. And he's, he's one of those, he's one of those friends that you just feel so safe with. You know, he's a, he's a remarkable man. He's smart and he's, he can be extremely gentle and very kind. He has a wonderful sense of humor. And he's, you know, if, if you're a friend of his, it's a very good thing because he's so nurturing and so loving. And I know I can go to him with any question about anything and, and he will give me good sound advice. You know, he's family to me. Mm-hmm. He just, he's just family. Do you watch Love Actually when it comes on? Because it comes It's hard on not to watch it. It's, I have a hard time turning it off if, that, if it comes up on the TV. I get sucked in. I don't, I'm not that way with any movie I'm in. Normally, if I show up on a screen, I immediately just turn the channel very quickly. I get very uncomfortable. But Love Actually is, is you know, it's just so fun. And it comes from such a warm place. And that's Richard Curtis, who is the writer, director. He's such a warm, kind man that that just, you know, that, that's a movie that should have been saccharine and unbearable. And some people may find it that way, but there are sections of it that are, that are just kind. It's a kind movie. You know, it's a loving, sweet film. Mm-hmm. It's not patronizing. There's nothing patronizing about the goodness of that film. And that's what sort of makes it. I think that's what people respond to about it. Yeah, it's it's what they call evergreen. It's just always, yeah, yeah you always want to have it. Yeah, uh, it's so sweet. <laughs> I was just thinking about the, um, when you're when you're walking around in New York, let's say, probably not in Connecticut as much or in LA, are you recognized more for Truman Show or Love Actually or Ozark or all of it? It depends. It depends on who it is. The thing about the Ozark crowd is that I can't tell who they are. Normally I can spot if someone is coming up to me about something, I can try and guess which, what they're going to refer to if they're a Savages person or a You Can Count On Me person or a Tales of the City person or a John Adams person, like I can sort of 
get a sense of where, and then every once in a while there's like the outlier who comes up with some film I did years ago that no one ever saw. Um, but Ozark is tricky because it's, it has such a wild, vast audience made up of so many different types of people, which is, you know, amazing. And where you, where you got to be called a wolf bitch, which is one of my, yeah, how about that? <laughs> That should be trending. That's not fun. It's so yeah, fun. It's fun. Uh, all right. My other person is Clint Eastwood. Oh, yeah, absolutely. So he gave you I, one uh, of your very first roles. Yes, he did. Uh, you know, out of he saw Primal Fear. He saw an early cut of Primal Fear and cast me off of that as his daughter. And and I I learned so much from him. I was really green. I was, you know, just learning. And I learned a lot doing Primal Fear. You know, Richard Gere was extremely good to me and is still a good friend. And, and Greg Hoblet, who directed that movie, I, they taught me a lot, a lot. And then Clint taught me something very different. Clint taught me all about how to relax on set. And, you know, because he's very, you know, he's relaxed. And he takes things very slowly. And there's a wonderful expression in the theater that says, we don't have a lot of time, so we have to work very slowly. And he's like that. The calmer he is, he knows it's more efficient. Mm-hmm. That if someone is, is startled or nervous, it's just going to eat up time. So every, everything is very calm. It's a very skeletal crew. But then also you get, you don't realize what's happening, but you're so relaxed and he's created such a great environment for you to work in that, you know, if he's happy with the first take, that's it. You're going to move on. <laughs> so... I realized, I was like, okay, well, I can either freak out about this or, you know, when in Rome, you know, just jump in. And, and so I just said, like, learn from the man, learn how to work in this, this very, very different way. And, um, you know, it was a joy. And I, I have an incredibly soft spot in my heart for him. All right. So finally, of course, we have to talk about Jason Bateman. I know early on he had always had you in mind to play Wendy, his wife on Ozark, but how did he go about convincing you to do it? I don't know. I don't know if he did or not, but he, he certainly did convince me to do it. Right. You know, I had, um, I had lunch with him about it because I wasn't looking to do another television show. And I find television most of the time very challenging. It's a challenging medium to work in. Um, because you don't have all the information, you're having to guess what's coming. It's, it's, it's a different culture and I respect it tremendously, but at times it can be, it can be hard to work within. And so I was, uh, I was a little reluctant to look at a, a series that I might be locked into for a long time. And I sat down with him and this has always worked well for me in the past. You just sort of have to trust your gut. And I've always really liked him. I didn't know him very well, but I had run into him a few times over the years. And I always thought like, what's going on with that guy? Like, there's more to that person than just a funny man, straight man, funny guy. Like, what's going on there? And I just thought, yeah, like, let's go do something that's a little dangerous and unpredictable and is going to require people to work hard and be vulnerable. Like, good. It's going to, like, the material is going to have to be good. People are going to be working outside their comfort zone. Like, good. Okay. I'll do that with you. With you, I'll do that. Yeah. Let's give it a try. <laughs> and, uh, and I'm really, really glad that, mm-hmm. uh, 
that it was it was so obvious to me sitting with him at that lunch that it was a good thing to do mm-hmm. in a career like yours. And you've said it's it's you're still here, which is to the delight of everybody. But <laughs> well, you've had ups and downs, obviously, and you've had TV shows that you've been on or films or productions that you've done in the theater that always haven't been had you skipping to work for whatever reason. Yeah, yeah we all have those. <laughs> right. Yeah. How have you managed through the highs and lows of your career? And you talk about like when you had that first moment as a working actress. And I think about when I first discovered you in, oh my God, in the, you can count on me. I remember seeing that movie at Sundance and just being blown away <laughs> by that. So for you, how have you taken all of that in stride? And what would you have in terms of advice for people to deal with the downs as well as to deal with the highs? Well, you have to hope that it's a a life in the arts, that it's a life, a lifelong profession and, and pursuit. And you are not your work. And when you're in something that's not good and is hard, that's not who you are. It's just that period of time. And it's very hard to believe that at the time (laughs) because it's all consuming and you give so much and it costs, you know, it does. It's not an easy lifestyle. It's not easy on families. It's not easy on friendships. It's not easy to, to manage this, this life well all the time. And you just have to really just take a deep breath and have a bigger picture. Know that every job is going to end that, it, you know, the good stuff is going to go to. So you enjoy it while you got it and realize, you know, and that's not who you are either. Like you might be the bee's knees for a second, a second. So enjoy the second. <laughs> Don't not have the second, have the second, but realize like it's not going to last, you know, something else is going to happen. And, and hopefully you will learn something as valuable during that period of time as you did when, when stuff was really easy and feeling good. You know, it's all, it's all valuable. You know, the rough, horrible stuff is valuable as well. So in terms of, uh, we're all waiting to see if, you know, a next season of Ozark, I'm dying to to think about what would happen next. I don't want to spoil uh, anything for anybody that's not entirely caught up yet. Uh, But if you are not caught up, I would say anybody listening, please do yourself a favor and watch it uh, from the beginning uh, as well. But what else do you want to do? What's on your bucket list for lack of a better phrase? Is there, do you want to direct? Are you going, is there anything else that interests you that you haven't done yet? Yeah, there's a ton of, you know, there's a ton of stuff. And it's really about the people also. You know, you just want to work with really good, amazing people who will teach you something, who have, you know, who have been to places where you haven't been. You know, so you can sort of see like, what's that like? Mm-hmm. What's it like? Um, but you never want to direct. You never want to be that person. You know, never say never, but I, it's not a, it, I don't have a pull to direct. There are a lot of people who wish I did have a pull to direct. <laughs> but I, I, I you know, un, un, unfortunately, it's just not, you know, but never say never. I mean, who knows? Um, I don't, I, I love what I do. What can I say? Like, you know, I'm an actress through and through and that's really who I am. And, and I still feel like I have a lot to learn. You know, whenever I hear any criticism or something, I'm like, you know what? They're right. Like I, I see what someone's talking about. Like, you know, hmm, yeah, there, there's some truth to that nasty remark that someone just threw out. I don't like it and it hurts. They're not all wrong. Um, you know, so there's, there's always room to, 
to improve and you just you just want to make a contribution you know as little as little as i can and you just want to make a little bit of a contribution to to help uh the theater along to help good television along to help you know mm-hmm. movies tell a story you just hope you can be a, a small part of that and as we've all been sheltering in place and living through these extraordinary times mm-hmm. have you felt yourself watching more or reading more or have you learned anything oh, about yourself? I am homeschooling a six-year-old. <laughs> there is no watching or reading going on here. <laughs> Same. I've got a sixth grader and an eighth grader. It's Yeah. Yeah. It's a lot. Yeah. It's, it's, a, it's lot. a lot. So, you know, I've been able to catch a few things here and there, but I watched Tiger King and I've been watching the, the Last Dance, the... Michael Jordan documentary and and I you know I read cookbooks like crazy so I've been doing a little bit of that I read a wonderful book named called Idaho which I loved which is very intense but beautifully written um and then other than that it's it's about waking up in this crazy period of time and trying to make the most of the day but being realistic about where we all are emotionally consciously or unconsciously and trying to um, be as present but as protective as I can be. Mm-hmm. Do you cook or do you read the cookbooks to, for pleasure or do you then try to execute the recipes? Some of them. Yeah, not very well. And I never do it terribly well, but I try. <laughs> I do try. I've been pretty good at hand pies recently. I made cherry hand pies and peach mm-hmm. hand pies and they were, pretty, they were not bad. So I was... I was uh, I was very happy about that. That sounds delicious. I know the your your soccer mom character of Wendy doesn't she cooks a little bit, but it's never a, a never really a focus. No, no, she's not a foodie. No, not really at no. all. She's a whiner. Mm-hmm. She likes to drink her wine. I do notice yeah, she's a little more and more. You have a lot of you always have a coffee or a, or a wine yeah. glass, and I appreciate that. <laughs> yeah, a little caffeine. <laughs> not not too dissimilar uh, for yeah. a lot of people out there. She needs a buzz and then a mellow. You know. <laughs> It's great. Well, it's a total thrill to watch you act anytime. And I'm so happy that with Ozark, Wendy, it's just blossoming. It's awesome. Thank you. I'm, and, I'm working with very good people who are letting that happen. So, yeah, well, they I feel like what you said about Julia is kind of true with you. You it's a perfect role for you at this time in your career. And I can't yeah, imagine anybody else playing, well. playing her. So. I think a lot of people could could give it a good go. I'm just the lucky one who got past the baton. That's all. All right. Well, I like your uh, continued humbled attitude. (laughs) (laughs) I'm never going to shake you out of it. (laughs) But thank thank you you so much. Yeah, it's great to see you. And um, thank you so much for coming on Present Company. My pleasure. I'm happy to be in your closet. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Bye for now. Take care. Bye-bye. Thanks so much for joining me. Please subscribe, rate, and review this podcast wherever you've been listening. You can follow me on Twitter and Instagram at Krista Smith. Join me next time for more meaningful conversations here at Present Company.